Hello, and welcome to Minas Tirith, the podcast where we'll be exploring Tolkien's world and answer questions from you. My name is Mina. And this is Brian. This is episode four of the podcast. In today's episode, we will have another fun Q&A with our in-house non-Tolkien fan, talk about Elendil's lineage, give a history about dwarves, and finally, my thoughts on the Meteor Man and the cult-like trio. So Brian, a lot of our listeners let us know that they enjoyed your non-expert analysis from the last episode, so I thought we could start off by asking you one more question and get your thoughts on an interesting question. Thanks for being willing to explore this world with me. No problem. All right, everyone. So I still haven't seen any of the episodes in full, only a few clips that you've shown me, and I'm excited to try to answer some of these questions as a non-fan and give my non-expert analysis. To be fair, I actually tried to watch the last episode with you, uh, but I still fell asleep. That's okay. It's expected. So first question, why is Tolkien's world called Middle-earth? If it's called Middle-earth, then is there an upper earth or a lower earth? What are your thoughts? That's a very good question. So why Middle Earth? Okay, so the Middle Earth idea, I think it's because it is sandwiched between this idea that there's good and evil. And right now, this Middle Earth is where both good and evil both coexist at the same time until the time comes where everything good starts to overcome or become good uh am i sort of close what do you think yeah i think that's a good interpretation really yeah you're just saying that no okay i think that you know there's valinor the blessed realm and middle earth is where we're in the middle where there's good and evil and there's like you know battles and things like that and we're waiting until the time until good ultimately triumphs and wins and so that's why we think that it's called middle earth Okay, I think I just said that, but okay, it sounded better coming out of your mouth. All right, well, uh, those are my thoughts. Okay, I think it's time for me to ask you questions now. So our first question from our listeners is, since Aragorn is a king and a descendant of Isildur, is Isildur a royal descent as well? Isildur. Okay, Uh, that is unclear because in the show, Isildur, Isildur's dad, Elendil, Mm -hmm. is just a sailor captain guy. Great question from our listeners. So I mentioned in my podcast that Elros, Elrond's brother, decided to identify himself as a man. The Valor gave him that irrevocable choice, um, whether to choose man or elf, since he is half-elven. So Elros became the first king of Numenor. After he died, the fourth king, Tar Elendil, had a daughter, his firstborn named Silmarion. But the law at the time said that the line of kings could only be passed through males. So Silmarion's younger brother, Meneldor, became king instead. Her brother's line continued after many, many, many generations, all the way down to the current queen regent Muriel and her cousin, Arpharazon. Okay, that makes sense. It's kind of like the British Empire. Did you mean to say Silmarillion? No, Silmarion. But they have the same source of um, words in the in the Elven language. Okay, so back to Silmarion. So Silmarion can't become queen, so she gets married, and her father gives her husband the title of Lord of the Undunier, who will rule the western shores of Numenor. 
Now, Silmarian's line is important because her descendants are faithful in their beliefs of the Valar, and her descendants also welcome the elves from Valinor to their western shores. So her line continues for many, many, many generations, all the way down to Elendil and Isildur. So Elendil and his sons are of noble blood. Now, sometime after Silmarian died, the law eventually changed to allow firstborn daughters to become queens. If this had happened during Silmarian's time, then the line of king and queens of Numenor would have rightfully gone to her. So you could say that this law becomes significant because it legitimizes and explains how Elendil and Isildur are regarded as kings in Gondor in Middle-earth. Regardless, Tolkien made it clear that Elendil is in the line of descendants of Elros. Okay, so to summarize for those who may have tuned out for a minute like I did, uh, there are two lines of descendants. One came from a firstborn daughter and the other from a secondborn son. The firstborn daughter couldn't become queen due to the law, but then the law changed so that her line became eligible. So when that big tsunami came and wiped out all of Numenor, right, the whole line from the secondborn son was wiped out. So now the line of descendants from the firstborn daughter could become queen. And so that's how Isildur and Aragorn can become kings. Yes, exactly. I'm really impressed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice. So it sounds like this faithful stuff, quote unquote, is important. And I'm just waiting for that tsunami to happen to wipe out all of the unfaithful people on the island. Wait, how does Elendil and Isildur escape that? Well, they build and prepare nine ships. Wait a second. That kind of reminds me of this biblical flood and Noah's Ark. Let's come back to that at some point. Okay, so let's go to the next question. So what's up with these dwarves? Where do they come from? And why are the dwarves all named Durin? or at least the kings, and how many are there? Great question. Remember the Vala Aule that I mentioned? No. Well, he is a smith and a master of crafts. He loves making things with his hands. He actually freely gave things away, um, and he just enjoys making things. Now, the Valar know that the children of Iluvatar, the firstborn are elves and the secondborn are men, will arrive in Middle-earth, and they're waiting for them. But Iluvatar didn't tell the Valar when they would come. Tolkien writes that so greatly did Aule desire the coming of the children so that he can teach them his art that he was unwilling to wait. So he made the dwarves. He didn't know how the children of Iluvatar would look like, so he made the dwarves as best he could. But he was wary of Melkor, aka Morgoth, so he made the dwarves hard to tame. They were too tough able to resist evil, they were unyielding, and though they could be slain or broken, they could not be made into shadows or slaves of any other will. So in secret, Aule created the seven fathers of the dwarves, and one of them was Durin. Now, Iluvatar knew this all happened and confronts Aule. No one can create and give life except Iluvatar. Aule admits his folly and raises his great hammer to smite the dwarves, but... Iluvatar stops him because he has compassion and understands Aule's heart and longing to share the beauty of the world with the children. But Iluvatar would not suffer to have the dwarves come first before the firstborn, so Iluvatar puts the dwarves asleep somewhere in Middle-earth to be awakened after the firstborn of his children awaken. So that is how the first Durin is born. So why are all kings named Durin? The first Durin is called Durin the Deathless because he lived far longer than any other dwarf. 
he founded Kazakh Doom. The next kings were also called Durin, and similar to what the older Durin says in the show, the Doors believed that those who were named Durin were the reincarnation of Durin I, with memories of their past lives. Now, on the Rings of Power show, the older Durin, the one with the long gray beard, is Durin III, and the younger Durin, the one with color in his beard and in his BFFs with Elrond, is Durin IV. Oh, did they actually say that he was Durin III in the show? He, they did. Oh, I totally missed that. I thought the dad was during the first. He is Durin the third. And according to the appendices from the Lord of the Rings, Durin the third is the one who receives one of the seven rings of power. I thought there were three, and now you're saying that there's seven. Can you explain all of these rings again? Yeah, sure. There were three rings for the elven kind because they're wise and immortal beings. There are also seven rings for the Dwarven Lords, great miners. Then there were nine rings made for men, men who desire power. But one ring was made by Sauron, one ring to find them, to bind them, and in the darkness to rule them all. Oh, so that's the one from the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. But now you're saying there's like 20, 3 plus 7 plus 9 plus 1. Yep, there's 20 rings. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, back to our questions. It's hard to keep track of which Durin is which. And our listeners want to know which Durin was killed by the Balrog, a.k.a. Durin's Bane. Which Durin was that? According to the appendices that I mentioned, the dwarves during Durin the sixth time mine too deeply and greedily in Kazakhdom and awaken the Balrog of Morgoth. And Durin the sixth gets killed by this Balrog, hence the Balrog is named Durin's Bane. And this Balrog is the same one that Gandalf encounters in the Fellowship of the Ring. So although Durin the sixth dies, his line continues, but his descendants receive different names. Tolkien said that there would be one more Durin, the seventh Durin, who after many generations would become the last king of the dwarves. Okay, so that's still a lot of Durins. So there was a Balrog in episode seven of the Rings of Power, but during the sixth is probably not born at this time. So what do you think about everything happening with the dwarves and the timeline? Amazon has already condensed the timeline so that several characters who never actually did meet in Tolkien's works now meet, like Queen Regent Muriel and Galadriel never met in the books. So I think it's possible that Amazon might speed up the timeline for the dwarves now and awaken the Balrog. Or maybe showing the Balrog was just a teaser of what's to come in a future season. We'll just have to wait and see. Okay, let's talk about something new and our last topic for this episode. Who is the Meteor Man and who are those three pale cult-like people that like destroyed that village with fire? Our listeners ask every week and I feel like it's time that you answered this question. All right, great. So when you look at the facts and the events involving the Meteor Man, he definitely is a Maya. First, he flew in from the west in a fireball. Maya come from the west. Second, he was not clothed, he was disoriented, and couldn't speak a language. This may happen when Maya take on physical forms in Middle-earth. Next, he can bend trees and make himself big, kind of like how Gandalf the Grey can make himself big in Fellowship of the Ring. Next, he interacts with life. He interacted with the fireflies and made the trees alive again with fruit. Radagast the Brown was also known to care for all the birds and beasts. 
And lastly, he's not an elf. He doesn't have pointy ears. That's true. You can also eliminate Dwarf and Hobbit. And since he has some special abilities, this all points him to definitely being a Maya. I'm sold. Okay, so that makes sense. What about those three pale cult-like people, the scary ones? Yeah, these three pale people, I think all of them are women based on their looks and their clothes. So Tolkien wrote that in the very far east, like beyond the Sea of Run, there were people there, the race of men who came under the dominion of Morgoth and Sauron. They are called the Easterlings. They fought against Gondor and the elves in battles that have not yet happened in the show. Wait, this is the first time you're talking about this. So you've been keeping this information to yourself and not sharing this with other people? So the next thing I will share, I'm basically hesitant to share all this because I don't want my listeners to get confused. We're already confused. So keep in mind that this show takes place in the second age. But in the books, in the beginning of the Third Age, after Gil-galad and Elendil die, the Valar send emissaries to Middle-earth to fight against Sauron. They were instructed not to use their power to force others into action, but to aid, to guide, and help those on Middle-earth against the enemy. These Istari cloaked themselves as old men. They came quietly and secretly each on a boat at different times to the Grey Havens on Middle-earth. The Valar chose five Istari, also known as the Wizard, also known as Maiar. First was Saruman the White, recommended by Aule. Another was Radagast the Brown, recommended by Yavanna, wife of Aule. Gandalf the Grey, whose original name was Aloran, came on a boat as well, and he came last out of the five. He was recommended by Manwe himself. Then there are two left. The last two are the Blue Wizards, recommended by the Vala Orome. The Blue Wizards went into the East and were never heard of again. Maybe they got into some sorcery or magic and created a cult? That is hinted at, but Tolkien didn't write anything else about them. And as you all know, out of all the five Istari, only one remained faithful to the mission, Gandalf. Oh, I, I appreciate Gandalf even more now. Yeah. So maybe there is some connection here between the Blue Wizards and the Meteor Man. I'm not too sure. The way that the Meteor Man entered into Middle-earth as a fireball really throws me off because the five Istari came quietly and secretly on boats and they came in the Third Age. That is why I do not think that Meteor Man is Gandalf. Gandalf was most humble. He saw himself correctly in view against the enemy and did not want to go to Middle-earth at first. So long story short, I am not sure who the Meteor Man is. He definitely is a Maiar though, but whether he is good and evil, I am not sure. I am certain that the three pale-looking women are Easterlings and are definitely part of Sauron's crew. Okay, hopefully everyone could follow that. East, west, north, south, but in terms of direction, I think I get Middle Earth at least. Um, we'll just have to find out more in the season finale of The Rings of Power next week, right? That's right. Well, that's all we have for today, and I want to thank Brian for helping answer that question at the very beginning. You're welcome. We hope that this was interesting and helped you piece together a little bit more of Middle Earth. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating and a review. If you have any questions for us to answer, please DM me or leave a comment on my Instagram at Mina's underscore Tirith. 
Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode. Namarie. What? <laughs>